Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to our latest Heartwork series called Becoming a Friend of Allah Lessons from the Life of Prophet Ibrahim. If you benefit from and appreciate the work that we do here at Roots, please consider becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.orgslash sustain. Your contributions go a very long way in supporting the work that we do. And if you're ever in the Dallas area, please give us the honor of being able to host you. We'll have a cup of coffee for you at Suhba, inshallah and we'll be able to welcome you home in person. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah, here tonight. Alhamdulillah. Everyone say alhamdulillah. You know, there's always a reason, man. There's always a reason. If you think about it, just take 10 seconds. Just think about what are you saying alhamdulillah for? I just had an interesting conversation with my son. Um, where we did this exact same exercise where I said I want you to think about the reasons why you should be grateful and um, you know sometimes like six-year-olds seven-year-olds they can be smart and so he was like I don't know I said okay what about this and he said no and he just kept sort of and then finally I, I said to him I, na- I named like six or seven things like you know you got your Nintendo Switch and Baba, you know, I made his, I made one of his favorite dinners tonight. I grilled like kebabs or whatever. And I did that and did this and this. And he had soccer practice on Sunday. He loves soccer now. He's a Cristiano Ronaldo fan. He's convinced that because he lives in Saudi, he's going to become Muslim. He's also like, when we make Umrah, can we go see Cristiano Ronaldo? And I'm like, let's go see the Prophet Sultan first. And then we'll talk about watching a game. So I named all these things and he was like, you know, you know, six-year-olds, they can be smart. And that's why Allah doesn't hold them accountable because they say things. And uh, at the end of that long list, I said, okay, that's not good enough. He said, oh, you know, he's being cheeky, right? And I said, what if Allah took all of that away tomorrow? And then his face got like ghost white, like even whiter than it already is. <laughs> and he was just like, wow. And that, that shook him and it shook me. Because I realized, subhanAllah, you know, there's a, there a line I read somewhere that what if Allah took away the things you didn't thank Him for today? Tomorrow you woke up and they were gone. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to always make us grateful. And that's why we, the dua we make is Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. That we say, oh Allah, make us better, help us to remember you, and then make us grateful to you. Because when you remember Allah, you have, the next step is to thank Allah. And then, as a result of remembering and thanking, that make us more beautiful in our worship of you. Because if you want to worship well, you need to think of Allah and thank Allah. And then those two steps, it's like, the next step is that your salah, your, your dua, whatever it is, is going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people who remember Him and thank Him and worship beautifully. Ameen. Alrighty. So we are in one of my favorite stories of Ibrahim salam. We talked a lot. We've done so many, subhanAllah. And we've tried to extrapolate these uh, passages about how to become a friend of Allah. Who doesn't want to be close to Allah? Who doesn't want to have that proximity, that protection, that guidance, that wisdom that being close to Allah Ta'ala can give you as a person? And so in Surah Al-Baqarah, which is the second chapter in the Qur'an, right? It's, it's, it's right up there in the beginning of the book. 
So if anyone's opening the Quran for the first time, within probably, I don't know, 15 minutes of reading, 20 minutes of reading, you're going to run into this story. And why that's amazing is because Allah does not do things haphazardly. The Quran was not put together like Scrabble. You know, it was not put together coincidentally or accidentally. No, every single verse and every single surah, passage, every word down to the letter was strategic, divinely wise, with a reason. So when Ibrahim, his story, peace be upon him, when his story is being included in the very beginning of this chapter, or the very beginning of the book, right, of the juz, there's got to be a reason for that. And we'll see as we explore that this passage alone is so present with so many different uh, lessons and meanings on how to be a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala begins this passage. Okay, it starts with verse number 123. He says, That taqwa, guard yourself. Right? I think it probably says fear, right? Oh no, good. Wow, great translation. All right. Guard yourself, taqwa, from wiqaya, which means shield. Protect yourself. If, 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 if you knew you guys had that, that thunderstorm, anyone get hailed on last night? Okay, no? Alhamdulillah. If you knew that you were going to be driving through a storm, or that there was going to be hail, you would think to protect yourself. You would plan accordingly. You either would you know, think about your plans for the evening, reconsider, make changes, you would delay something, right? So Allah, when it comes to taqwa, it's the same concept. You think strategically about what you're going to do. Taqwa just means that you think it out, okay? If I know that I'm going to be somewhere and the time for prayer is coming, I have to think about that. And if I'm not in clothing that's sufficient for salah, I got to think about bringing clothing with me, something that I can put on or change into. If I'm planning to go hang out, I have to think about Am I going to be able to make maghrib in time? Right? These are things. This is taqwa. Right? A lot of times we confuse taqwa for being like over the top. You guys ever been out to eat with a friend that wants to check the ingredients? And you're like, don't ruin it, man. Just check it after we're done, you know? But, and there is a certain level where it can be over the top, okay? Like if they're like, it's halal, and you're like, show me the receipts. Could be a little bit over the top, right? Could be problematic, but... If, if you're going somewhere and it's reasonable, it's reasonable, right? You're getting something that's normally made with, you know, ingredients that are not okay. And you think, you know, it's reasonable. And you ask, that's taqwa, right? Because you don't want to take a bite or two and then find out and be like, oh, man. The reality is you want it to guard your heart and your nafs and your soul from ever engaging with that stuff. The person that protects their eyes from looking at something, right? Scrolling past it doesn't mean that it didn't affect you. I'll tell you something. You guys ever heard the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that the first glance is for you, the second glance is on you? You know what that means, right? So if a person sees something that's impermissible and it's unintentional, the first glance, he says, it's for you, meaning what? You're not counted for that. Allah does not put it in your book that you get sins for an accidental glance. Okay? But he says the second glance is against you, is upon you, which means now you're responsible for that. I know there's some cute, you know, oh, well, what if I just, you know, <laughs> hold my eyes open, right? <laughs> everyone's, laughing, everyone's laughing except for the creeps. They're like, yeah, what if, uh, <laughs> what if I do that? <laughs> Not blinking when they're asking. Um, no, so I want to share something with you, though. 
in, in the explanation of this, of this issue, this mas'ala in fiqh, and, and, and they use the hadith and they explain it, they say that just because Allah doesn't hold you accountable for that doesn't mean that it's not going to affect your heart. So there could be things that you do that are not problematic from the perspective of it's in your book because Allah is so forgiving. Right? You scroll past something, you're like, I didn't mean it. But you know what? You saw it. And that image, that video, whatever that is, is now implanted. One of my teachers back in Chicago, he said that your heart, your heart, engaging with the dunya is like dough. You guys ever touched dough before? Yeah. So dough, very good, right? Yeah, she's like, yeah? What'd you make? What kind of dough did you use? Cookie dough? Bread? What'd you make? You don't know? Uh, you don't know, right? You just played with it, okay? So dough, right? And he said this so beautifully. He said, if you work with dough, okay, you're like, you know, kneading the dough, you're rolling it, you're, you're shaping it, whatever. He says, at some point, you like clean your hands of it, and generally it's clean, but if you look close enough, what do you see? You see like these micro bits of dough on your hand. And he said, that's the dunya with your heart. He said that you go throughout your day and you say, Astaghfirullah, Allah forgive me, and you try to go, and then he goes, but at the end of the night, you have these flashes in your memory of these things that you don't want to be a person who possesses those, and they're stuck to you, like dough on your hand. He said the only thing that cleans it is tawbah, is repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So taqwa here, Allah ta'ala is saying what? Guard yourself. Don't be reactive, be proactive. Don't be the person that waits till it's too late. Be the one that thinks about it before it happens. Okay? Be careful and protect yourself from the day. What day? The day when nobody will be able to help anybody else and handle anyone else when it comes to reward. Nobody's going to be given anybody else's reward. No one can be granting anybody. No one's going to be able to save anybody else. You know, even the Prophet ﷺ, speaking to his own daughter, who would you want to save more than your own family? And he says to her, even I can't help you on that day. Not even me. Even subhanAllah, the hadith that we learned about on the Day of Judgment, where all of the believers are going to be running to every prophet. And even the prophets of God are going to say what? I can't. I had that one situation in my life where I, you know, I, I, I made that error, right? Eunice is like, I left my people too early, I went to the whale. Musa's going to be like, I had that problem where I accidentally, de I, I defended myself against that man, I struck him and I killed. All these things are going to come up, and the only person that's going to say, you know what, I can't help you except that Allah has given me a dua that I will make on our behalf is the Prophet ﷺ. So there is a day in which nobody will help anybody else, and it's not because necessarily they won't want to, although on that day we won't want to, but it's because you won't be able to. Okay? And then Allah Ta'ala continues, and He says, وَلَا يُقْبَلُ مِنْهَا عَدْلٌ He says, and there will be no exchanges made. You can't trade. You can't be like, you know what? I'll go in for my mom. I'll go in for my husband. I'll go in for my spouse, my wife. I, you can't do that. There are no trades on the Day of Judgment. Nobody can try to be like super noble and take the hit for somebody else. Everyone's got to be there on their own. وَلَا تَنْفَعُ and there will be no benefit of any intermediary. I know all of you guys who made friends with that Hafiz kid in school, and you're like, you got 10. 
give me one, right? That is a very, very, very risky chance that they're going to remember your name, right? And they probably have 10 people in their khandan that already booked that spot. So I doubt you're going to make it. But all jokes aside, that reliability is not one that anyone can bank on. There will be no person that can say, Oh Allah, I did this. Please allow my family in. That's not going to happen. Okay? And nobody will be able to be given any sort of help. So this is a very scary line. Like this is like a line that just gets you like, straightens up your posture a little bit, right? Kind of wake up for a second. And then subhanAllah in the next line, Allah Ta'ala talks about exactly this example. Because you had Ibrahim with his father, and he's not going to be able to step in for his dad. You had that moment where he's saying, he's begging his dad, Ya Abati, Ya Abati, please, please. And his dad says, what? Go ahead and get away from me. Get away from me, I don't want to deal with you, I don't want to talk to you. But then you have Allah giving Ibrahim the gift of what? Of a son who actually lives up the ideals. Right? Ibrahim was able to break that cycle. He had a relationship with his dad that was not ideal, but he became the ideal dad. And his son, Ismail, became that beautiful ideal son. Allah Ta'ala gave him a son that was so patient, so forbearing. You know, a, a patient son, a patient kid means like no tantrums, no pouting, doesn't cause issues. Right? They're just well-mannered, inner and outer, beautiful. Allah Ta'ala, give us all that. Okay? Name your kids Ismail, maybe it'll work. Okay? He says, When Allah, he describes now, when the Lord of Ibrahim, the Rabb, and Rabb means like the loving, kind Lord, when he tested Ibrahim with some commandments, and he was able to fulfill those commandments. What has Ibrahim gone through so far? Raise your hand. What has he gone through? Tell me. We've covered it in this class so far. What, what trials has he gone through? Yeah? The fire, right? He got thrown into, oh, just casual Thursday for you, right? No one even remembers that one. They're like, oh, what fire? He got thrown into a pit of fire. And that was something that he had to do. That was a commandment that he received, meaning what? He was a prophet of God, he was being tested by his people. And Allah miraculously saved him from that. And he said what? Ya naru, kuni bardan wa salamun ala Ibrahim. Be cold and peaceful upon Ibrahim. And that, 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 that faith in Allah was tested and it was rewarded. What else? What other trials? Yeah. Okay, Allah commanded him to sacrifice his son. We covered this last week, and what did he say? He asked his son, you know, what, what do you think? And his son said, Dad, do what you got to do. I know you're a prophet. You'll find me patient. And then he went and he tried to do it to fulfill the command of Allah, and Allah Ta'ala sent down an animal in replacement and said, you have fulfilled your, your command. What else? There are some other ones. Yeah. Yeah, he had, to, he had to depart from his wife and his children, his child, sorry, in the middle of the desert. As Allah Ta'ala says, That there's no vegetation there. There's nothing. You're just leaving them in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to do it, Denton. I'm not going to do it. You leave them in a place where you are absolutely... There's no resource. Nothing. No water, no vegetation. 
And there's your wife and your newborn child crying. And Allah asks you to leave them there. Commands you. So Ibrahim was able to do this time and time again. And this is why he became Khalilullah, the friend of Allah. Allah Ta'ala tested him with this and he passed. But here's an interesting thing. Allah in this verse didn't use a verb that he gave him these challenges or that he... No, he said he tested him. Right? Meaning what? That this was something that was difficult. But I thought God only put difficult things in the lives of people he didn't like. Right? It doesn't, isn't that the case? That if Allah loves somebody, he'll never test them? Isn't that true? No, thank you. Right? To the eight-year-old over here. He's like, no. Nine, sorry. <laughs> so important at that age. There will be an age where they're going to say, give you a younger one. You'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 32, you're like, yep. <laughs> 35, 32, right? Testing somebody, this verse is profound. Because Allah here is telling us that his friend, he put through tests. And he put through so many tests, time and time and time again. Why? Why do you put, them, why do you put someone through tests, guys? Why do you test people? Check their intention, shame, to make sure that they're legit. What else? Wow, how old you have Nine. Wow, the nine-year-olds are killing it tonight, okay? Maybe we just do hard work for nine-year-olds, right? Like backwards crayon S on the flyer. Okay. To, to, to make sure that he's the true friend. Wow. Gosh, that was deep. Ibrahim was like, Allah gave him the title. And then Allah is like, let me test this title. Right? Are you a true friend? Do you really believe that I'll be there for you? You know, like your true friends, when they're like, hey, I'll be there. I need a ride. I'll be there. What time are you? Don't worry, I got you. I got the flight number. Don't worry about it, right? It's almost offensive if you don't put that relationship to the test. Like if you tell your friend, like, no, no, you can't do it. You can't handle it. They're like, no, I can. I'm here for you. Trust me. So Allah is putting Ibrahim through this test partially as a way to what? To demonstrate that Ibrahim really is a real one. Like he's really there. Okay? And subhanAllah, we see... One of the other reasons. قَالَ إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا That we have made you a leader for all people, all of humanity. And look at Ibrahim subhanAllah. The name Abraham, right? Ibrahim is one that is revered by major traditions. Billions of people across the globe. They look at the name of Ibrahim and they in their heart feel reverence towards him. Every Muslim, every day, in their prayer says what? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama salli ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim. We make, we make dua every day for Ibrahim. We, we honor him. We, we sanctify him. Why? Because he is one of Allah's closest, closest prophets. So Allah Ta'ala said that you are now a leader. And this is a very important point. Because this is part of our religious tradition. Leadership, status, titles, all of this stuff actually is only attained when you're tested. None of it's given. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, some of the proofs of his prophethood was that he was a person, it's so interesting, some of the proofs of his prophethood was that he was a person that, was not, that did not shy away from taking care of people. That did not shy away from serving people. One of the 
you know, the, the people that came to meet with him, Adi ibn Hatim, when he met him, and the Prophet was with him and walking with him, there was an older woman that stopped him in the middle of the street and said, Ya, ya Muhammad, O Rasulullah, I need to speak to you. And he said, sure, what is it that I can help you with? And he talked her through all of her complaints, all of her issues that she had. You know, Medina this, it's too far, help me, I need someone to help me here. Yes, naam, hadir, hadir, yes, yes, no problem. The Prophet ﷺ, like he's her son, handles everything. And Adi ibn Hatim is like a Christian king. He's a leader of a tribe and he's Christian. He's visiting the Prophet ﷺ. And he came in and he, he describes himself. He says, like, I'm a little bit contentious. Like his sister had already converted at this time, but he was trying to prove his sister wrong. I'm going to come in and I'm going to show that he's not really a true prophet. And he's not... That, you know, my dad, Hatim al-Tai, he was a legend. You know, Muhammad is nice, but he's not a prophet, he's not a legend. When he saw the Prophet Sallallahu take care of this old woman in the street, he said, that's exactly when I knew he was a prophet. At that moment. He was not a king, he wasn't chasing empires. He wasn't chasing power or money, no, no, no. When he stood there and listened to an elder complain, and he's the leader of Arabia, he's the... The, 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 the khalif of this time, everyone has to listen to him. I mean, what could he have done? He could have been like, you know, uh, excuse me, sister, do you mind? Can you go speak to Omar? <laughs> he'll handle it for you. All right, Abu Bakr can take care of this. Ali is younger than me, he'll handle it. No, he said, I'm going to take care of it. And Adi ibn Hatim said, that's exactly when I knew he was a prophet. Because of that service. So, why am I going off on this tangent for this verse? I'll tell you why. It's part of the human condition to want power and to want leadership and to want responsibility without wanting to go through tests. Like we don't want to be tested, we just want to get the benefits of it. I want all the privileges without any responsibility. Right? Yes or no? Who agrees? Who wants to get paid but doesn't want to go to work? Okay, you get it now, right? You're nine, relax. Okay. You want to get paid but you don't go to work? I mean, look, who wants to get the grades but doesn't want to go to school? Who wants to, who wants to eat but doesn't want to cook? Right? I mean, this is why, this is why, yeah, there's a brother that really hit, he's like, yes. <laughs> this is why these, I mean, Grubhub and DoorDash only exist because of this phenomenon. We want the goods, but we don't want to actually have to do anything for them. So Allah Ta'ala talks about Ibrahim, and you think about the level and the stature of honor he's achieved but you don't realize what he went through. And subhanAllah, this is something that you will, you will come to realize in your life, on a, on a smaller scale. Okay, for those of you that have like finished some program, maybe you finished a, a grad degree, master's degree, maybe you went to some professional training, and then now you're working, mashallah, you made it. Right? You did your work and now you're there. And there could be somebody who's like younger than you, very like motivated, aspiring, they want to achieve what you have. And they say, how'd you, how'd you do it? Isn't it? Is it easy? And subhanAllah, in your head, you're like, man, that's crazy. I just spent seven years of my life doing this, sleepless nights, studying for exams, taking this, doing that, working double shifts, trying to pay the rent, trying to make sure I could afford my tuition, da-da-da-da-da, you name it, right? And they say to you, isn't it easy? Was it easy? And it reminds me of a statement that I heard where this guy, he said, you know, you work... 10 years 
all, all day, all night, so that people could call you an overnight success. And that's Ibrahim People look at him and they adore him, but they don't realize how much he had to go through to get there. And Allah says, no, no, no. Allah Ta'ala, he tested him with all these commandments. And that's how he became the leader of people. Now here's a really interesting part. Who's Ibrahim's son? Ismail, right? Okay. How many tests has he been so far through so far? A couple, okay. But not as many as, as Prophet Ibrahim. And so Ibrahim, he asked, Qala wa min Allah gave him this distinguished title. Now what happens in, uh, uh, you know, think about leadership in Arabia, in tribal Arabia, okay? Or even today, think about fame. If somebody's famous, who else is famous because of them? They're who? If they have kids, are their kids famous? Who's blue? Who's blue ivy? Everyone's ashamed. Everyone says it's a lot together, right? Too many of you guys know, there's a brother who's like, my queen, astaghfirullah, right? Your queen is Aisha, radiallahu anha, Khadija, radiallahu anha, ummahat al-mu'mineen. People know these people because of their family. So this is something that we've carried on from history, right? If someone's well-known, if they're famous, if they're respected, their children will probably carry on that in terms of they'll be the beneficiary of that, right? So you have people that are well-known, and then their kids get it. So Ibrahim, again, not, not seeking the wrong route. No, no, no. He's not trying to take any shortcuts. He's just saying like, okay, and will my son also be? Because also, and there's actually some practicality to this, right? Sometimes your family are the only people you can trust. See, he's been through it with his son. He knows. His son knows. They've been through it together. They've been through a lot. So he says, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِي Then Allah Ta'ala says, قَارَ that my promise does not extend to anybody if they are wrongdoers. That's a very interesting statement. Because he's not saying no. He's not saying no, Ismail doesn't qualify. But what he's saying is that spirituality does not transfer because of who your father was. Spirituality does not transfer. And if anybody knows that, it's who? It's Ibrahim himself. Ibrahim knows that he did not inherit the spirituality of his father. And more than anything now, he wants to protect his own son. Just like he wishes his father could have protected him. And so he asks on behalf of his son, but Allah Ta'ala reminds him and says what? Family name does not transfer and give ownership in paradise. That's not how this works. Everybody has to earn it for themselves. And the stark reminder for us here is that some of us might have those parents or those grandparents that read Qiyam every night and that read Qur'an all the time. I remember I would, I would be visiting my mom and dad and my mom, she's so funny, uh, my mom uh, believes without a doubt that music is haram and that's okay, that's her opinion, right? MashaAllah, she, she has wara. But she went to a music store to buy a music stand. Do you know why? Why? Is this, a comic, is this a comedy session? <laughs> Why? Because she has one of those giant mushafs. You know the giant ones? Big, big Quran copy. It's like massive. It's like, it's like probably twice as high as this laptop. And in order to pray her to Hajjud, 
she puts the music stand in front of her and she opens the Quran and she reads from it. Right? And it's really amazing because uh, once you get over the, the scare factor at night when it's dark and you're walking in the house and you see something standing and then you realize it's just a music stand with a Quran on it. But you see the prayer rug and I'll walk by it when I'm visiting my parents and I'll say like, man, subhanAllah, my mom, like who knows what she's doing here, like the prayers she's making. Who knows like how many near accidents I've been in, but the prayer of my mother protected me. Who knows? And you feel a sense of pride, right? You look at your mom, you're like, that's my mom. Yeah, she's going Jannah, inshallah, you know? And then you read this verse and you're like, but I may not be. And the awkwardness sets in where you realize that, you know what? My teta, my daddy, grandma, just because she prayed doesn't mean that I get that reward. They may have prayed for me to get the protection and guidance in this life, but it's ultimately up to me to decide if I'm going to act on that. We don't believe that we inherit that spirituality. And Allah Ta'ala teaches us this here. Okay? Now, Ibrahim and Ismail had the most amazing father-son bonding of all time. They were able to build the Kaaba together. I don't care <laughs> what your dad did with you or what you do with your kids. Unfortunately, it will never be as good as this. You know, you might have built like a tree house or something in the backyard. You did not build the Kaaba. So Ibrahim salam, Allah Ta'ala describes, وَإِذْ جَعَلْنَا الْبَيْتَ مَثَابَةً لِلنَّاسِ He says, And when we made the house a mathaba for all of humanity. Mathaba actually has two meanings in Arabic. And I'll, I'll try to translate it here as best I can. Mathaba means, number one, the thing that is often returned to. You go to it as much as you can. Or people go to it as much as they can. And that's the Kaaba. Is that a good description of the Kaaba? Do people go there as much as they can? Like all of humanity? If you look at the Kaaba, do you generally see that people are there? Why was it so jarring in 2020 to look at that white marble with nobody there? Why was it so scary? Because for a lot of us, for the first time in our lives, we've never seen that building empty. It is a place where people go. You know, you think New York is a city that never sleeps? No, no, no. You've never been to Mecca. Mecca, literally, there is, a, there is no point in the day where that masjid is not full of people worshiping, praying. And so mathaba refers to what? It refers to the honor of the house. This building is one of the most revered places, and so everyone goes back to it. But another meaning of mathaba is that it is a place that gives a peaceful tranquility. And this is something that if you've been for Umrah, who's been for Umrah or Hajj before? Okay, who hasn't been yet? May Allah invite us, say Ameen. All of us, say Ameen. How amazing would it be? If you've never been, right, just, just ask somebody who's been, what they feel. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, one of my favorite things to do is to go with people who have never been before. Because I've been able to take groups and I have my own personal du'as that I make, but there's nothing like seeing someone lay their eyes on the Kaaba for the first time. And the emotions that come out from that. You know, some people get emotional and they start to cry. I've seen some people just have the biggest smile. And I ask them, what are you, what's, what, what are you smiling about? We haven't gotten El Bake yet. And they're like... <laughs> and they say, I never thought I would see it in real life. You know, one person, he was 18. 
He was like the most emotionally intelligent 18-year-old I've ever met in my life. I said, what? He was, he was so happy. I said, why are you so happy, man? Describe it to me. And he said, for my whole life, I've just prayed towards this building. I've never seen it. He goes, I can't believe I'm here. I'm going to tell my friends, you're praying towards it, but I'm there. And I was like, wow, that is the greatest trash talk of all time. <laughs> you Kaaba trash talk, right? Okay. And then Allah Ta'ala says, he made it a place that is secure and safe, a place of refuge. And this is true. Now, I'm going to say something here and I want it, I want it to come out correctly. So I'm going to use my words very carefully. I'm not speaking slowly because I'm tired. I just don't want to come off incorrectly. All of us have aspirations and goals. And a lot of those goals and aspirations require for us to spend money and to save. I want all of us to ask ourselves, where on that list of aspirations is it to go and visit the Kaaba? Where? I've seen a lot of Tulum on Instagram. I've seen a lot of Europe this summer. It seemed like everybody was there. I've seen a lot of Turkey. You're getting closer. You're just a few hours away. But nothing gives me the sense of just absolute pleasure and honor and pride in my fellow Muslim brother and sister than when I see they're at either Mecca or Medina. And I want us all now to make our intention that, oh Allah, I may not have any idea where the money's going to come from, and I may not have any idea if I have time off or not, but oh Allah, I want to visit your house, please invite me, say Ameen. This is an intention that if you make it, I promise you, Wallahi, Allah will open doors for you like you've never seen possible. You have to want it though, you can't just say it. You have to want to go, and you have to yearn to go, like more than the Maldives, more than wherever you want a vacation to. You have to desire desperately that Allah will allow you to come back. Why? Because when you know a place gives you sanctuary and refuge, you want to go there. Anything that you're carrying in life, all the difficulties, the daily stresses that you pick up, right? It's like you get chipped away all year long. The chance you get to go to visit the house of Allah and to visit His Prophet in Medina, وسلم, that absolutely repairs the heart and soul unlike anything else. Unlike anything else. So make that intention. Number two, Allah in the Quran, He says that while the house, capital H house, Kaaba, the Bayt, is in Mecca, there are innumerable houses of Allah spread out throughout the earth called what? Masajid, masjids. And this is another Example of a place of refuge, a place where you can take cover. Literally, it's a place where you can go and you can absolutely just unwind from the day. You know, so many people, subhanAllah, are looking for a way to decompress. People are looking for it through meditation. People are looking at, people are jumping into ice baths, right? I don't know if you guys have seen, I don't mean to offend anybody here, right? People are jumping into buckets of ice to what? To try to reset my chakras, right? Or I don't know what it is exactly, but something like that. People are all types of stuff. And I'm not hating on it. I kind of did right there, but I'm not hating on it. But how many of us, and I want, don't raise your hand because this is not like an inventory. 
How many of us have gone through a really serious moment in life and it's been like a Tuesday and we've been like, I'm just going to go to the masjid. I'm going to go for Asr. I'm going to go for Maghrib. There's no plans. I'm not meeting anyone there. I'm just going to go and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to sit after prayer, after everyone leaves, and I'm going to open my hands. I'm going to pour my heart out to Allah. Oh Allah, I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed by this. Oh Allah, help me. I need your help. Right? It's interesting. We want Allah to always be there for us. And He will. He says He will. But we're not willing to be good guests. We want the host to come to us and deliver everything to us. Kind of goes back to that same issue, right? We want to be leaders, but we want to go through the test. We want the answers and solutions, but we don't want to have to like get up and do anything. And generally speaking, what you find is that the prophets of Allah, whenever they needed Allah, they got up and moved somewhere. Where did the Prophet ﷺ go when he was struggling in Mecca? Where did, he, where did he take refuge? The cave of Hira. Where did Ibrahim go? He went to Allah. I'm going to leave. We want solutions, but we're not willing to stand up and go anywhere. The masjid, Allah Ta'ala says, this house is mathaba. It's a place that will bring you tranquility and peace. Now, again, I'm going to add one more layer. Some of us may not be able to go to the masjid that frequently. Work is tough. Life is difficult. But let me ask you something now. Because this everybody can do. How many of us, when it comes to our place of prayer, in home or at work or something, we have like a system? Anybody? Anybody have like a prayer rug? Anybody have? I'll never forget the most beautiful prayer experience I had in the house. This person basically built a small little musalla in the corner of their room. They even got like the, the, the mihrab thing. Right? They had a microphone. No, they didn't have a microphone. But. but you know what they did do is they took perfume and they perfumed their prayer rug. So every time you went for sujood, you put your head on the floor, you didn't want to get up. It smelled so good. And... I, you know, we talked, whatever, and I said, like, why did you do this, you know? You don't have to do all this stuff. You can just pray anywhere. Allah made the whole earth a place for prayer. And this person said to me, like, when I, when I stand here, I'm, I'm in my own personal masjid. I'm in my own personal masjid. So the layers for this go like this. If you can go for Hajj and Umrah, go. Plan it out. Make the niyyah. We all made it tonight. Allah will invite us. And when He does, I want you to come back and tell people so we can... So people feel inspired to make the same niyyah, inshallah. The second is, if you go to the gym every day, <laughs> but you can't go to the masjid more than Jummah every week, we have problems. Right? If you can go get your hair cut, brothers get lined up, faded up, every week, but you can't stop at the masjid to pray before and pray that Allah gives your barber a steady hand. <laughs> that blade is too sharp for the... I mean, sometimes he's like, don't, don't move. I'm like, I'm not. Right? I'm not going to do anything. I'm like, can I just say the shahada first before you trim my beard? Right? Okay? If you can go get lined up, if you can go to the gym, if you can go get food, if you can go again, 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 but you can't stop at the masjid to rejuvenate your soul, then we have priority issues. And then we wonder, subhanAllah, why I feel so tired, so exhausted all the time. You know what's crazy? You go for Hajj or Umrah, you've been awake for 24 hours, you get off a plane in Jeddah, you walk by this massive aquarium they have, you're like, wow, it's a lot of fish. You take a bus and go to Mecca, 
You check into your hotel, you make sure not to use the soap because you're in ihram. You come out, you get into the Kaaba, you've been awake for 24 hours straight, you're running on fumes, you don't feel tired at all. You do not. But Ramadan lasts 10 nights. You don't feel tired. Because your soul gives you life. But you could wake up from 12 hours of sleep very exhausted. Isn't that interesting? Your body's gotten all the sleep it needs. Clinically, if you sleep more, we have problems. But if your soul's not rejuvenated, you're never going to feel rested. That's why when the Prophet ﷺ used to tell Adhan, uh, Bilal to make the Adhan, what did he say? When Bilal, when Bilal was supposed to make the Adhan, what did he say? He didn't say, Adhan. He didn't say, make the Adhan. He said what? Give us rest, please. Give us rest. I'm sick and tired of all the dunya. I'm sick and tired of the business. I'm sick and tired of this and this. Oh Bilal, if you call the Adhan, we'll be able to get rest. Please give the, give the Adhan. It's like finally setting do not disturb on your phone. And this is what Allah Ta'ala describes his house like. And then he says, And take from the place of Ibrahim a place of prayer. And this is in the place of the Kaaba. And then he says, وَعَهِدْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمُ وَإِسْمَعِيلُ أَنْ طَهِّرَ بَيْتِيَ لِلطَّائِفِينَ وَالْعَاقِفِينَ وَالْرُقِعِ السُّجُودِ He says that, and we gave Ibrahim and Ismail this, this job. And their job was to go طَهِّرَ To go and purify and to clean this area that maybe had some practices of people worshipping or doing things there and sanctify this region to make it a place for people to do tawaf, ta'ifin, wal'aqifin, and those who can come and devote themselves and meditate to Allah, wal-ruqi'a sujood, and those people who are going to bow and who are going to prostrate to Allah. This is a moment of prayer. It's amazing. Anyone here ever planned a vacation before? Or how difficult is it? Okay, we got all the people who are not planners. Anyone here ever been planned for, right, for a vacation? You got to find the tour guides, where do we eat, where do we don't eat. It's exhausting, isn't it? Sometimes when you're in the middle of planning a vacation, you kind of have this intrusive thought of like, we just shouldn't go. Let's just cancel and drive to Austin or something again, right? You know what's crazy about visiting Mecca? You have no plans. You don't need any itinerary, no schedule. You show up and you do four things. You know what you do? Tawaf. You go and you pray to Allah, you make dua. You go make ruku and you go make sujood and that's it. Everyone's excited. When the adhan comes on, everyone gets excited. They run out of their rooms, they're in the lobby, they're like, let's go, let's go, we got to make it inside. We got to make it inside. You're like, what prayers is it? They're like, I don't know. Do you have wudu? I'm not sure. We got to go. Everyone's excited. Somebody maybe struggles to pray even once a day in their normal life, but when they're there, they're like, I want to get all five. They're awake for Fajr, they're there. It's the power of an environment. It changes you. And I'm telling you this, if you want to commit to Allah, listen to me very closely. If you want to change yourself and commit to Allah something, there is no better way to reset than to go and make pilgrimage to His house. And, I, I, and by the way, I know Qalam takes groups. I don't, I, don't, I don't care if you go with us or not. I just want you to go. You got points? Go. You find a deal? Go. 
right? You, you, you can go on a cargo plane somehow? Go. I don't care. Just go. It's not about the, the group that you're going with. Go and visit and worship Allah there and witness how beautiful the Kaaba is. You think you're a big shot when you're in America, right? You roll up in your new Tesla, even though in Texas everyone has one, right? You roll up, you have this, you have that. You think you're pretty successful, you know? Charlie commented on your LinkedIn, great job. At the annual conference, you did well. Nobody knows what it is you did, right? And you think you're really a hot shot. And then you know what happens? You go and you make tawaf, and you meet Malaysian women. No, you see, if you're not laughing, you don't understand. You meet, let me be more specific, you meet a group of 60 to 70 year old Malaysian women. And you're walking, let me tell you my story, six foot three, right, walking, people typically when they bump into me, they move, I don't move. It's just the way that I've been my entire life. I didn't ask for this, Allah made me this way, okay? And, you know, people are like, wow, you're lucky. I'm like, yeah, let's go sit on a plane together and see who's lucky, right? Person in front of me cannot recline, not by choice. And I'm going there, and you know what happens? I'm making tawaf, right? La ilaha wahdahu la sharika I'm making my azkar, making my dua, and I get bowled over like I'm the Denver Broncos. And, or I could say like the Cowboys, but I spared everybody because I know that it's still fresh. And I, and I look behind me, and I see auntie from Kuala Lumpur. And she looked, and wallahi, she's looking at me, and she's like, move. You're going slow. And I'm like, in my moment, I'm like, oh Allah, I've come here all the way, boom. And I look at her, but you know what's crazy? As funny as it is in retrospect, I get emotional thinking about it. You know why? Because... You think you're important until you go there and you realize only Allah is important. And people don't, it's not, they're not being rude. Let me explain something to you. I don't want to scare people. You're like, you just told me that. I made my attention, now I know. <laughs> I'm scared. They're not being rude. They're not being rude. They do it with a smile on their face. Move, right? <laughs> but subhanAllah, let me tell you something. When you're in front of Allah, nobody else exists. It's like practicing for the Day of Judgment. When you're there in front of the Kaaba, like you don't even see anybody else. You're just so, you're so present in that moment. And the Kaaba is there. You know, it's, it's, it's actually interesting. It's proper etiquette when you're making tawaf not to look at the Kaaba. It's proper etiquette to look forward. It's not haram, but it's just proper etiquette. And every time that I used to go with Sheikh Abdul Nasser, I would say, Sheikh, I'm so sorry. He's like, what? I'm like, I can't not look at it. My eyes, it's just magnetic. And he used to say to me, same issue, man, I can't, you know. I'm not in travel all that way not to look at the Kaaba. Like, that ruling was for the people who live in Mecca. They come here every day, like, we're here, like, we just stare. It's so powerful, you sit and you just gaze upon it, it's worship. You know, the Hadith says, if you just sit and look upon the Kaaba, it's worship. Because the heart of a person that's there is completely immersed in this relationship with Allah. It changes you. You can go home today and even watch on YouTube just the, the tawaf and the people and the reciters. Build up that himma within you to go. I pray Allah invites us. Okay? And even if you can't go, if you can't go, 
Prepare yourself for going by working here now. Start to pray now. Build your mathaba, build your place of refuge here now. Where, where is it? You pray all over the house. You know, some people are like, I can only work at my desk because I need focus. But when we pray, we can pray everywhere. We can pray anywhere. And then we're like, I, don't, I can't focus that much in prayer. Let's give prayer some, some respect. Right? Let's do that, inshallah. And then we'll conclude with this last verse. He says, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جِعَلْ هَذَا بَلَدًا آمِنًا وَرُزُقْ أَهْلَهُ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ مَنْ آمَنَ مِنْهُمْ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ قَالَ وَمَنْ كَفَرَ See now, it's interesting here. Ibrahim is making a dua and then Allah responds. So he says what? He says, Oh Allah, make this place, this land, a place of safety and security and bless its people from the fruits of this land, like the resources of this land. Who? Man amana minhum billahi wal yawm Those people who have firm belief in Allah and in the last day. Those people who acknowledge tawheed. Allah Ta'ala responds here. Qala. Allah responds. وَمَنْ كَفَرَ فَأُمَتِّعُهُ قَلِيلًا And for those who disbelieve, I will allow them to do their thing and to play and to, you know, whatever, thrive for a little bit. Then Allah Ta'ala says, ثُمَّ He says, and then at that point, ثُمَّ تَرُّهُ إِلَىٰ عَذَابِ النَّارِ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ that we will then place them into the fire and the punishment therein and what a horrific place that is. When I read the tafsir of this verse, I thought about what it could mean that Ibrahim was making dua and Allah responded like this. And the, 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 the line was so powerful, subhanAllah. The Mufassir said that Ibrahim salam, he prayed to Allah to give only those who believe good things. Who is he leaving out? Yeah, people who don't believe in Allah. So he said, only give it to those who believe. Man amana billahi wal yawm al-akhir. Like, that's it. Okay? So he, he was just saying, like, that's the obvious, you know, if they believe, and they believe in you, Allah, then give them good. And then Allah responds by saying, that's not how this world is going to work. You're not going to be able to distinguish between believers and people who don't believe just by what they have. And in fact, there will be some people who believe who will be tested, and there will be some people who don't believe, who Allah Ta'ala says what? فَأُمَتِّعُهُ قَلِيلًا They will have their enjoyment. They will have a little bit. I remember when I was in Islamic school as a sixth grader, I remember the most popular question was, why is Bill Gates so rich and he's not even Muslim? And we were all like frustrated. We were about to unionize and march out of Islamic studies. We were about, this sheikh doesn't have answers to the questions, right? He's a fake sheikh, we used to call him, right? Well, how is Bill Gates so rich and he's not Muslim? And we made the same mistake that this verse is highlighting. Because Allah told Ibrahim that you're going to be an imam, you're going to be a leader for everybody. So then he said what? He said, oh Allah, give rizq to the people of faith. Like, allow them to benefit from the fruits of all of this submission. 
And Allah Ta'ala said, no, no, no. Everybody will have different provisions. Everybody will get. People, some people will get more, some will get less. Some who believe will not get as much as those who don't believe. Some who don't believe will not get as much as those who believe. It's all going to be strategically what? Dispersed. There's not a decision of if somebody is this or that, then they get this or that. No. Why? Because this is the ultimate test of faith, is never confusing rizq for religion. This is the ultimate test. When is your faith most tested? When things aren't going well. Right? Yes or no? When things aren't going well, that's when you're like, oh man. Someone's like, make dua. You're like, you make dua. Right? Be patient. You be patient. You get upset because things aren't going well. And what is the core of that disease, that problem is what? I keep confusing that my religion is based on my risk. But that's actually what Allah here corrects Ibrahim. He says, no, no, no. If you see that somebody is given something, he says, Everyone will have their little playtime. Everybody. You're going to see people that reject Allah and they're driving Lamborghinis. You're going to see people that deny the Day of Judgment and they're living in beautiful homes in California on the beach. You're going to see this. And you're going to see that there will be Muslims that acknowledge Allah and they're struggling day to day. But that is not a correlation. That is not a causation. That is the way that the dunya works. As the Prophet said, he said, dunya sijnul mu'min wa jannatul kafir. He said, this world is going to be like a prison if you're a believer. But it will be like a paradise if you reject Allah. And later when they asked the scholar, how do you explain this? He said, because no matter what you had here, even if you were like really well off, compared to what you get in Jannah, it's going to feel like prison. And he said, and the opposite's true. If a person rejects God and denies all the blessings that Allah has given them, and just flagrantly says, I don't care. I'm self-made. I did this, right? Even DJ Khaled understands that God did, right? Even him, okay? But if a person has the audacity to say to Allah, you didn't do anything for me, I did this. Then the hadith is to say that what? No matter how bad it may have been for them here, it will feel like a paradise for them when they reach their destination in the next life. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this beautiful understanding. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to always prioritize our religion over our risk and that we don't confuse the two. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that find rest and security in visiting his homes, the masajid. We ask Allah Ta'ala to invite us to his house in Mecca. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to make Umrah and Hajj. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to visit Medina and visit the Prophet We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to inculcate these beautiful Abrahamic characteristics so that we can become friends of his. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.